we are on the season, the, not just season, the series finale of our studies from the book of Acts. We are, we'll be covering Acts chapters 27 and 28, the shipwreck and then the arrival in Rome. That's today. If you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, but you think it'd be nice to follow it on a Bible, the Bible's are at the back, uh, right on the side. Jack's holding them. We have them in English, in Chinese, BM, and in bilingual. Um, anyway, right? So, so you can swing by to the back, pick up a Bible. I think it's great to follow a sermon on the Bible because you can, especially when you're, when you're following two chapters, you can see context. You can see lots of things going on at the same time. Okay, I'm going to breeze through the whole opening part. In chapter 27, Paul, where we were last left off, Paul is now on his way to Rome for an appeals case. Okay, Paul is going to Rome for an appeal case on him. Paul is delivered to a Roman centurion whose name is Julius, right? Um, and Julius finds a ship, they get on the ship, the ship is on its way to Italy and it will make stops in Sidon and in Myra. The map looks like this, they are here in Caesarea, they make one stop in Sidon, you hear a lot about Sidon, um, the city of Sidon in your Gospels. Jesus ministered in this city a lot. Now, from Sidon, they go up above uh, um, this Crete, is this Crete, Cyprus? Uh, it goes around to Myra, and the intention is to go to Rome, okay? So if you have to draw a short line between Myra and Rome, not flight, how would you do it, right? Probably, eh, 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 eh. Oh, oh, only IQ people with a thousand can do this, right? Um, no, it's, you, you, you will find out. But the problem is, the problem is, it's winter. It's the end of the year, and the weather is no good. So they found themselves in Myra, stopped there, desiring to attack these waters of the Mediterranean Sea, but the weather is no good. But this ship is under pressure to move. You all know why? Um, historians have, have explained that because it is winter, having enough food in Rome, food, food uh, uh, security was also an issue then, yeah? not just in 2023, okay? Um, having enough grain in Rome was important. And there are historical records showing that in winters, the Caesars will offer a higher price for grain if you can bring them in from the rest of the empire. And so, this ship has grain. This ship has Paul, a centurion, several other uh, uh, prisoners on their way to Rome for various reasons. But it has grain. And they want to make it to Rome in time for winter because the price of grain is higher. This part is stuff historians say. It's not in the Bible. The Bible doesn't tell you the context behind their eagerness to get on, get, not get on the road, they're not getting on the road, to get into the waters. I will show you. You will see in today's uh, uh, um, text and two chapters, three things are at work. Number one, voices. Whose counsel are you taking? Number two, power. What forces are at work? 
And number three, listening. How open is your hearing, right? Number one, voices. That is to say, who shapes you? Whose voice do you listen to? Who do you turn to for counsel? Where do you go for a second opinion? Whose voice are you hearing? Power. When you start moving, what powers are at work? What kind of force leads you on? And the third is listening. Are your ears attentive? When you see something, do you see just as a fog? Or do you really perceive and understand what you are seeing, where you are going? We're going to start with the first one, voices. Okay? Chapter 27. There, the centurion found a ship. This is in Myra, okay? In Myra. There, the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy. Put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Senidas. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmone. Uh, coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, which, is, which was the city of Lazia. Now, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the, the Feast of the Atonement, okay, when you see it fast here, it means the Feast of Atonement, was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and of the ships, but also loss of lives. Potentially, not just losing the cargo, all of the grain that you want to sell in Rome, not just of this ship, right? But even potentially the loss of lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Voices. There are always competing voices trying to tell us what to do, where to go, where to sign up, where to move to, what to invest in, what opportunities to take, what doors to open, what doors to close. There are always lots of voices part of the world around us. Now, you may say, no, 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 Pastor, uh, I don't because I make decisions on my own. I'm my own man, right? I'm my own woman. I don't, a woman won't speak with this voice, but um, uh, <laughs> I make decisions on my own. I don't listen to other people. I'm very clear. What you don't realize is that even if you were to be that kind of person, you have all kinds of other passive voices all around us in the form of advertising, in the form of the media that you consume, in the form of what other people are doing, where other people are investing, or what, what, what the trend, the global trend of this day is moving in. And so you may not consult anyone other than yourself and you can be sure to some extent that the voice I hear is my own voice, right? I'm clear. But know that many other voices still reach you. Now, that's important because as Christians, Jesus says what of His voice? Who recognizes His voice? My sheep 
hear my voice and they recognize me. They know me. They are so in tune to my voice that when they hear my voice in the midst of a scattering of many other voices, my sheep recognize my voice. You guys ever played this game um, at some camp or at some youth gathering where everyone's gathered in a center and you'll be paired, right? So A and a1, right? And then there's another team pair, B and B1. A1 will be inside blindfolded, right? Um, and then uh, A will be standing on the outside parameter, right? All the A's and the B's are outside. All the A1s and B1s are on the inside. How, how many of you have played this game before? No? No? You all don't know how this game works? Can you see where it's going? All the blindfolded fellas, okay, have to go somewhere. Let's say they have to go across, right? Um, and the non-blindfolded people outside is going to say like, to the left, left, right, turn. Okay, now we should do this for icebreaker. Oh my gosh, it'll be so chaotic. No, we shouldn't, right? Um, to the left, go here. Okay, now bend down, pick up the red ball. Okay, no, you can't see it's a red ball in front of you. Left, a bit more, a bit more. They will do that. But the problem is, while A1 is trying to do all that, there are the voices of not just A, who is their team member, but B and C and D and E and, and, and F and G and, and you can hear so many voices. You need in that game to know and recognize the voice of your team member, the one who is leading you. The same, I can say, will be true for every single one of us in our walk with Jesus. If you are not in tune with the voice of God and you're hearing voice of God mixed in in a rojak with everyone else's voices plus all the commercial voices plus all the consumer voices then I can tell you you can't and won't be able to tell one apart from the other but before I plunge any further into this I want to be real straight up with this okay the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to Paul Let's be realistic. Why wouldn't he? Why shouldn't he? Why would the centurion pay more attention to Paul than to the pilot of the ship? Wouldn't you assume that the pilot of the ship makes the most important decisions about what to do, where to go? Or wouldn't you say that the ship owner who happens to be on board with them has quite a lot of say about when the ship goes out and what the ship is prepared to, what kind of risk the ship is prepared to undergo. Let's be realistic. There are experts all around us, and then there is the voice of God. And there are experts all around us who have, to a high extent, credibility in their field. That's why they're experts. And I want to affirm that what these guys did is probably the best they know how to do. And I mean, we could stand here, we could say, oh, Sila, you don't listen to Paul, that's why you, you know. And yeah, yeah, later you see Paul almost kind of has a I told you so moment. Um, but realistically, if I preach that to you, you're going to go like in church, go uh-huh, uh-huh. And then you're going to go out of church and you're going to go back to the voices of the pilots and the owners and the experts in whatever field um, that you are in. And to some extent, to an 
earthly extent, I understand why. Every pastor should, they do that too. We do that too in our own lives. We listen to experts in our own lives too. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. On this occasion, now I'm not saying that your medical practitioner has this problem. I'm not saying that the engineer who builds our bridge has this problem. I'm not, okay? But I'm saying in this case, the experts had other vested interests. I told you, the grain was selling for high price in Rome. There was an element of greed. There was an element of profit to be made. There was a sense in which if they can face the storm, face the winter weather, they can get to Italy, they can sell this grain at a much higher price. In this case, these guys were compromised in their clarity and objectivity to make a decision on the journey. Now, again, the experts around us may not always be compromised. They may not always be compromised. In fact, many of the times, we trust that they are not compromised, that they are objective, they are clear, and to a large extent, we can trust them. And yet, there is another strand that would say that they are also still human and their expertise takes them up to a certain point. And to illustrate that point, I would just ask you, medical science experts in the 1950s, how much should the people have trusted them? It's the best they have. And yet we know that ever since then, so much more has been discovered, right? I grew up in a home uh, where, where for one year it was like, don't eat butter, it's bad. And then next year it's like, don't eat, no, 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 you can eat butter, don't, don't eat margarine, that's bad. And then we were kind of like, the, the science behind that would flip and flop. How many of you guys went through that journey, right? Yeah. Um, uh, and so we know that the best knowledge we have sometimes is still not enough. Even though the experts around us have gone as far as they know how to go. They are still discovering things as they go along. Now, I'm not going to belabor this. I think you get the idea. The real issue is not about the experts out there. You're with me? The real issue is, in seeking God, is seeking God's counsel a factor to you? Is having an opinion from God part of the equation for you? When you are facing a difficult situation, do you only rely on the people to tell you what and yourself? Or is there an internal mechanism in you that will go to prayer, that will fast and pray, that will seek God for wisdom, that will seek, for example, godly counsel. Now, here, I'm moving away from Paul and the ship. I'm moving into the place of your natural behavioral habits and patterns when you reach a place of decision. Is this natural to you? You need to answer this question yourself because no one can answer it for you. We can say till our face turns blue, you should pray before you make a decision. Yes, but has it become a pattern for you? Because if it has not become a pattern for you over smaller decisions, what's the chances that when the stakes are high and you're high stress, you will, you, it comes naturally to you to seek godly 
counsel or godly wisdom. Now, you can seek God's wisdom through fasting, through praying. Why fasting? Why praying? Because in the place of fasting, you shed off the carnality and the flesh and the taste bud and the hunger for the things of this world and you seek God with greater clarity, greater focus and higher intensity. You seek Him to hear Him. You seek Him to hear His heart, to know Him. Now, do, that, do you have that as part of your natural makeup? Now, maybe you have that when the stakes are very high, then everybody will pray. But for normal, medium-level decisions, you're like, yeah, it's okay, I got this one. Yeah, this is within my, my, my ability to control God. I got this one, right? But I want us to do this as an exercise right now here in church. In your life right now, you are likely facing one decision, at least one decision coming up. Even if you've got nothing to decide on, what you're doing for lunch later is a decision, okay? So, so, so you can still use that as training ground. We're all going to pray right now, okay? We're all going to pray right now. And I want you all to close your eyes. Now, some of you are accustomed to praying. Some of you are very new to this. But first, I want you to say something to acknowledge that God is wiser than we are. I know that might be strange if you're not accustomed to it, but I'm going to keep it quiet. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to let you do the quiet talking. Say something in the next 10 seconds to acknowledge that God is wiser than we are. Now, in the next sentence, I want you to let God know about this decision that you are facing. The next thing I want you to do is to invite Him into your heart and into your mind to give you godly wisdom and counsel. Let's do that right now. And lastly, I want you to give thanks that He has given you the Holy Spirit to continue to counsel you throughout today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are not left alone, but your word says, surely you are with us until the end of the age. And so, Father, we seek your counsel. For your word says that a, fool is, a fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. Your word says that if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Lord Jesus, continue to give us discernment and wisdom on this, on this particular decision for the rest of today and bring wise, godly people around me to confirm what you are saying. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alright. And so, they put out to sea. Right? And they put out to sea and sure enough, they catch a violent tempest. 
a violent storm hits them. They end up having to what? Oh, no. They throw cargo. And they throw their tackle. They throw their grain. In fact, there is a scene in the midst of all of these parts where Paul says, look, we've not eaten for days. Let's eat a bit, you know, and pray, right? And so Paul leads them into eating, okay, and praying. Okay, he prays, right? It's not, you don't know if the rest pray, but surely something's different with this man. And then they start dumping everything off the ship. Right? Now, y'all know that you would probably take a shorter route, storm, 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 storm. They end up having to go south of Crete. They're trying to avoid the storm. They, they can't really avoid the winds just blowing in the wrong direction. So where they would normally have sailed straight through to Sicily and from Sicily go north into the rest of Italy, they have been forced south, okay, to a, 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 as part of the storming. Having arrived at Crete, Paul tells them don't go again. They continue to go again, okay? Weathering the storm until somewhere in the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, Paul, <laughs> I, don't know if, I don't know if he can tahan already, right? Paul says, man, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Now, I don't know how you hear this because if you're reading it from your Bible, you can, you can apply any verbal tone to it, okay? You can hear him being really smug and going like, ah, see la, see la, tell you don't go, you go some more, you know? Um, I don't think so because of the context of what Paul says after this, okay? So he says, men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and this loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life. Remember earlier, all the way back at Myra, he said, loss of ship, loss of cargo, potentially loss of life. Paul now tells them, there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. So a few things are happening here. I want you to see that now Paul has received assurance just as God showed up to him while sleeping on the barracks one night after the chaotic uh, second trial before the Sanhedrin. You all remember that one? And, and God spoke to him and said, don't worry, you know, you will make it all the way to Rome. God is reassuring him again. How many of you in your life, you have had God reassure you multiple times over the same thing? Yeah? Right? It's... Can I say this? I have seen people who go through this before. When God assures them and assures them and assures them multiple times. Now, I don't want to speak difficulty and challenge over you, but you have to ask yourself, God, why are you assuring me so many times? Is it because the journey ahead is going to be particularly hard? Is it because 
the the dangers and the difficulty is going to push me to the brink of not trusting you. So you have, and you've seen it as your divine wisdom to over-assure me now. Because when you're receiving multiple confirmations, sometimes it can feel like over-assurance. Like, I got it already. I heard you've assured me four times, you know. Um, maybe it's because you do need that amount of assurance because of the storms that lay ahead. That's not a rule, but I'm suggesting that to you. If God has spoken over you multiple times on something, take it very seriously. Not just the instruction, but the possibility that the journey ahead that will test your resolve to stay on course will be potentially challenging. But here, no loss of life. Don't be afraid. Take heart. I have faith in God. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Can God redeem a turbulent situation where His counsel was not initially sought or heeded? Of course. Of course. Did, did the centurion and the ship owner and the pilot heed the words of Paul when Paul said, Don't go! No, they didn't. Did they have every professional reason why they would not listen to one of the prisoners, you know, in tow? Yeah. Did they have to pay for it? I suppose. Was there something about Paul that marked him out as being somehow just different from all the other prisoners? Was there enough about him to make you pause and consider and just talk a bit more with him and find out why he says this? I believe enough. Was it taken? No. And have they gotten themselves into trouble? Very much. But can God redeem a turbulent situation even when his counsel was neither sought nor heeded? Yes, he can. And I want to assure you of this. Because in your walk, you may not be at a point of decision. Maybe your point of decision was several months ago and you went ahead without God. And now you're finding that it's very lonely and very troubling and very challenging now that you've gone ahead and set sail without God. Can He redeem it? Yes. The Lord can, the Lord will turn back to Him. I believe we all remember Jonah. Jonah, who against God's wishes, said, No, I'm going in the diametric opposite way of where He sent me. So you send me, uh, um, you send me to Nineveh, and I'm going to Joppa, and I'm going to turn and walk away from you. And the storms hit him that day as well. And it was violent, and the people around him were like, One of you are here, you know, is cursed. You've brought this storm on us. It's some form of superstition, right? And Jonah kind of like, it's, it's me. It's me. And then throw me off board and this storm will abate. And they threw him off board. The storm abated. A fish came, swallowed him to prevent him, to protect him and prevent him from, from uh, 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 drowning, you know. And the rest, of course, 
is history, right? He he repented, he turned back to God, and he spat back out on the on, on the land. Very fantastical, by the way. If you're like a cynic, you know, or or, or very naturalistic, you're like no way, right? Um, even if you are to take it now, I want to be. I, 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 I want to speak to those who are maybe you're not a Christian. I don't want to assume. Um, maybe um, you, you've been raised up to think of the Bible as being lots of tall tales and Pastor Fergus just confirmed it with their little anecdote on Jonah. I want to speak to you as a non-Christian, to, it, it, as a non-Christian, right? Even if this is a tall tale, it's the wisdom of God in a metaphor as a story. Even if, even if. As Christians, we believe that these things happen because Jonah's historical. But even if it's not, the lesson to be learned is still that when you go off course and you turn away from God and you strike it on your own and the storms hit, the opportunity to turn back is there. And even if you're not a Christian, I'm speaking this also to those who are online because anyone could be listening to this. Even if you don't have Jesus as your Lord, the Bible through that story is saying that when you turn back to God and decide to run back to Him, He brings the situation back into control and order and salvation. And for those of us who believe, we can come, we can look at Paul's journey and we can say that even though they charted out onto the waters with no, with no heeding of the counsel of God, God still rescued that situation when they turned to Him. In other words, Paul turned to God. And because Paul was, was with God, God wanted to secure Paul. And in so doing, he even secured everybody for Paul's sake. And he didn't have to. He could let some people die. He could let half of them, he could let all of them die. And then bring Paul and maybe the centurion. But no, God protected everyone. Because Paul was there, he protected everyone. And so we've gone this. And so I want us to pray right now. I want us to pray for a moment. Because in your own walk, you may have gone on your own path and you face turbulent weather and you're thinking, how are, is there a chance to turn back? And now I'm going to lead you to pray. Heavenly Father, the entire premise of your Bible and the Word and the narrative of Scripture is that when we have turned away from you, you make a way for us to come back. That's the entire narrative of the Bible. And so, Lord, in my own walk, I want you to appropriate this if this is true for you. In my own walk, I have gone ahead before without seeking your counsel. I've gone ahead before without heeding your warnings. Lord Jesus, I find myself in very rough waters. And it's harder than I thought. And I was maybe even a bit arrogant back then when I thought I could figure this out myself and I didn't need you. Today, I humble myself before you and I say, God, I need you. I just need you. 
There are a lot of things that I thought it was enough for me and I may even have thought that I don't need to trouble you over small, small things, you know, uh, um, and some of these small things, I can do it on my own. And today, I want to say, I need you more than anyone else. So help me redeem this difficult situation and bring my ship to safe harbour and help me to survive, not just me, but all those who have come along with me. Help us all to make it out in one piece. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe the Lord has heard your prayer. And if you made that prayer because you're actually in that place, I want you to know that the Lord has heard. And He is already making His way, a way out for you. Amen? Amen? Voices. What counsel are you taking? Power. What forces are at work. Now, I showed you this, right? Eventually, after lots of storming, they make it all the way to Malta. In fact, they don't actually make it to Malta. They make it near Malta and then their ship uh, uh, catches reef under the water, you know, and then they're stuck. The surf starts tearing the, the, the ship apart and eventually the whole ship just breaks apart you know um, and and soldiers are trying to make sure that prisoners don't escape they had actually wanted to kill them you know and but because of Paul you know they don't uh, they, they grab on those who can swim swim ashore those who can just float and get beached you know um, do with planks and, 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 and shrapnel of wood whatever they can cling on to it's an utter disaster let's not Let's not uh, 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 pretend that it wasn't. They shipwreck, but they are beached safely. They start a fire. It's raining, okay? So I want you to picture this scene. This is one of my favourite visual scenes in the book of Acts. They are in Malta. It is raining. They've all been beached and it's cold. It's winter, right? It's winter in Malta, right? Um, they start a fire. Paul, like everyone else, is chipping in. He's bringing firewood and he puts the firewood into the fire and he does not see but a viper is in that firewood right and the viper as he's putting it comes out from the the the, the branches so as not to be thrown into the fire and latches onto Paul's hand so Paul has a snake hanging off his hand how many of you are terrified of snakes I'm sorry the Bible has one or two snakes, right? <laughs> Paul has a viper hanging on his hand and he flings his hand. The, vipe, the, 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 the snake falls into the fire, you know, and the, the Maltese, do you call them Maltese? The people of Malta who are there hosting them. Sorry, I can't get over the fact that Maltesers are also chocolates, right? Just get in the right place, I guess, yeah. <laughs> The dogs as well. Mal Maltese can mean so many things, right? Here it means the people in Malta. So the Maltese see this incident and they think, this guy is a murderer. They are soldiers, they are prisoners. This guy is a murderer because he thought he could escape the sea, but fate would not have it and fates come to kill him anyway. Die, die, this guy must die, right? And so it's a kind of I don't know, spiritual kind of reasoning, superstition. Uh, I, I'm not sure what it is, but it's some kind of logic forming, okay? Some form of it. And so, 
murderer confirmed. And they're all waiting for Paul to just like swell up, blow up, and just fall over and die. And that doesn't happen, right? Paul continues as per normal. And after the kind of like uh, statute of limitation has passed, they kind of like, you, bossy. <laughs> He's still alive. Then they change their minds. He's no, they, they, they revise their view of him. He's not a murderer. He must be a god. And we're back in Lystra. <laughs> we're back in Lystra when Paul and Barnabas were mistaken for, for uh, uh, Hermes and, and Zeus. You remember that, right? It's a bit of the reverse because there they see them and mistake them for gods. And then when they re realize that they're humans, they try to kill him, right? Uh, here is the reverse. They mistake him for being a crook. And then uh, when they realize that he's not a crook, they suddenly assign like these divine powers to him. They clearly can see one thing though they know that some form of power is at work here it's unmistakable some form of power is at work here they just don't know what power it is but something's going on right because among themselves you get bitten by that snake and they know they are local snakes right you get bitten by that one they are expecting this guy to swell up and die and nothing happens some thing is going on. This guy is not normal. Loa Biasa is this guy. And they start to show hospitality by God's grace. Now, they could have been hostile. They were already hospitable and they start being generous and hospitable, not just to Paul, not just to the centurion ship owner or to the soldiers including hospitality to however many prisoners that were being carried along. Their whole party was 270-something people, I think. Um, and so, here they are. Next scene, the local chieftain shows hospitality to them, puts all 200 plus of them up, okay? And then, we discover that the chieftain's father is sick. And they know that there is a certain different kind of power at work here. So they bring Paul to see the father of the chieftain. Paul lays hands, Paul prays, and the father is healed. And this is supernatural. This is, what's this guy? He's a witch doctor. He, he does healings, but he also like, healed himself. What, what's going on here? And so they start bringing out their sick, just as people did in all of the cities that Paul had visited before. They bring out their sick, just as they did in Jerusalem when the, when the Holy Spirit power fell for the first time at the start of Acts. They all bring out their afflicted family members and Paul prays and they are healed. There is a mini healing rally happening in Malta at this time. Amen. And I know for some of you, you are going through physical ailments. At the end of today's service, we're going to open the altar. We want to invite you to come to the front and we're going to pray for you. Okay? And it will not be because our people here are like champion, prayer, warrior. It's because of the power of God. It's because of the power of God working through people who believe. Now, I want you to know this. What? I want to ask you this, what power is at work in your life? Because there is a certain power at work in Paul's life. 
We know it's the power of the living God. I'm asking you today, what power is at work in your life? Is it just your own strength? Is it the power of the organisation that you belong to? Is it the power of the wealth of your family? Is it the power of what power is at work driving you forward, helping you survive, getting opportunities for you and getting you to cross the finish line? What power is at work? Because I know that you know that whatever power is at work, they will reach their limits of power as well. All the power of wealth can only help your health up to a certain point. And then there is nothing more, nowhere else to go. All the power of institutions and let's say you come from money family or whatever it is, those things can also take you up to a certain point beyond which you are really just mere mortal. All the powers of your intellect will go and it's a diminishing return because as you grow older, physiologically, you are going to slow down. Whatever power it might be that drives you and it can be a combination of many things, they will all reach their finite end. So what power should you have at work in your life? I've shown you this slide before in a previous sermon. Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, who did not count equality with God, something to be grasped, something to be taken advantage of, something to be leveraged on. Instead, He emptied Himself. I want you to see the blue line. It is the descent, right? It is the coming down from equality with God. Instead, He emptied Himself. He took on the form of a servant, not a high official, a servant. He was born in human form. And in the humblest of, of labor wards, by the way, yeah, no, no personal room, you know, uh, no, um, um, all of those, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, luxuries of some of the ho- uh, uh, hospitals we have today. Born, born in the form of a servant, in a human form, in a manger, right, in a poor families, into a poor family, obedient to the point of death, even a death on the cross. Jesus steps down from His highest, most lofty place. He doesn't hold it for Himself. He steps down. And He dies the death of a criminal. And He is resurrected. And therefore, Philippians 2 will say, therefore, He has been hyper-exalted. Not just exalted, but hyper-exalted to the point that He is now the name above every other name and at His name, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. Philippians 2 ends here, right? It, 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 the, the verse ends here, that at His name, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. And so what happens? What difference does it make that Jesus came, died a wretched death, but was resurrected into power and everlasting life. What difference this makes is that now, if I may extend and show you more of this, Jesus has inaugurated a new world. A new world has broken into our world. And I want you to be able to see, perceive the way the world works as a Christian 
you are to see the world this way that there was there is a world the way it has always worked where powers of darkness rule where the powers and principalities rule over people so that even if you want to try to do good it feels like you're swimming against the tide now that Jesus has been raised, hyper-exalted, a new world is breaking into this world. And in this new world, God is launching the world and the work of His power. Through Jesus and the believers of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, God's power is invasive. It is coming in. It is breaking into the world we live in, where heaven and earth intersect where heaven and earth overlap that's why jesus said in his prayer that he taught us to pray your kingdom come your will on earth as it is in heaven so god has a will that will is his will in the heavenlies he desires something and wherever his christians are co-inaugurating the world that He is breaking into in our midst where there is addiction, where there is brokenness, where there is demonic possession, where there is all kinds of mental health difficulties, where there is financial uh, uh, um, dead ends, where there is physical illnesses, a world with cancer, a world with broken bones, right? God has broken in and he's asking for the Christians to enact on earth what is happening in heaven so that on earth as it is in heaven wherever you and I go that is where heaven and earth intersect that is where heaven and earth overlap it is the I discovered the tempat bertindih right in BM the tempat bertindih antara bumi dan syurga where you are is not just natural where you go it is supernatural amen before you came to Christ wherever you go is just natural maybe you dabble in the dark arts it's a different kind of supernatural you don't want to touch that but where you go now that Christ lives in you, the Holy Spirit is in you, wherever you go, it is supernatural. And you're going to bring about a new way of being human. A new way of doing the world and a new way of being human. And a new way of being human is that now there are new possibilities. Now, when you pray, God answers because that is like a mini portal, mini portal, mini portal for heaven to be invasive on earth. Not the bad kind of invade. We know what bad kind of invade looks like and sounds like. This is the invasive power of love into hatred. This is an invasive power of goodness into darkness. This is an invasive power of the mercy of God into a ruthless and cruel and violent world. Christ, hyper-exalted, is the hope of the world. Christ, resurrected, is the hope of the world. Resurrected Jesus allows people to forgive one another under the forgiving love of Jesus. And outside of the repairing of relational hurts and wounds and breakings, I don't know any saving for this world. And it is the church who goes around 
being the intersection of heaven and earth. This is the power that's at work today. It was the power at work in Malta. It is the power that will be at work in and wherever believers of Jesus go and are until the ends of the world. And I will not speculate on when Jesus will come back, but we are going to play this role as long as is needed until Christ returns. And so, later, when we call and give you an altar call for those who need prayer, it can be for anything really, not just for physical healing, right? When you come up, I'm going to ask you, do you have faith to believe that you can receive an answer to your prayers, a, a healing for your sickness, a breakthrough for your situation? Do you believe? Do you have faith to believe? Because I'm telling you, if this is true and this is true, you should have faith to believe. You should have faith to believe because Paul himself has been met by God multiple times on this journey and he tells all of them, all 100% not believers in Christ, he says, I have faith in my God. It will happen exactly as he told me, exactly as he is telling us today. Do you have faith to be healed? Do you have faith to, to be, see your breakthrough? Later, I'm going to open the altar. But I'm just going to very quickly go through the last point and then we open the altar. Voices, power, listening. And Acts does not end in Malta. Acts does not end on this healing rally, even though in, in one way, it, there's a feel-good factor about ending in Malta. Clearly, it doesn't, right? Because they set sail, now in good weather. They set sail make stops in Syracuse, in Regium, and Puteoli, and they are hosted by Christians there. They come out like a royal greeting. They come out from the city and they bring them back into the city. They do eventually end up in Rome to the grace and praise of God. Paul is put under house arrest. So he gathers all the local Jews, right? Because now he's here. Right? He gathers the Jews and one thing might be on his mind. There's no small amount of a bit of a disclaimer going on here. Paul is wanting to find out, what have you heard about me? A Jew coming all the way here with a case against or a case with the Jewish religious elite in Jerusalem. Have you come to bring trouble on the Jewish religious elite in Jerusalem? Have you come to tell tales on the Sanhedrin? Because if you have, then you're no friend of the Jews. And suddenly all those old things from Abraham chapter, uh, 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 Genesis chapter 12, if you curse the Jews, if you curse Israel, God will curse you. If you bless Israel, God will bless you. Suddenly all these things come back up. Are you a friend of our own people or are you a turncoat? That question hangs above Paul's arrival in Rome without being said. And so Paul gathers them and assures them that he is not against whatever's happening there. He's merely here because he was pushed to the point where he had to appeal to Caesar, right? They say, well, if you say it like that, okay, we haven't heard anything. But we are keen to hear 
what you have to say about this sect, about this Christianity. And so, when they appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and, to tr and trying to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. You can look at the, the long passages in Acts where Paul preaches, you know, uh, very similar, right? What he does, he pretty much does everywhere. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. And this, by the way, I want you to know is the final word that Paul has in this book of Acts. That is, he goes on to live, right? But this is the last things that Luke records Paul says. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of... No, sorry, I'm going to start from here. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, this is the Jews in, in Rome, through the prophet Isaiah, go to these people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see me with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and turn. And I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Church, this day is us. We are the Gentile church. Let's not forget that. Okay? Yeah, we are part of this story. And so, Paul lived there two more years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God, teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And the book of Acts ends here. But I really want us to just take these last words of Paul very seriously. Because he was speaking to a group of people who for generations after generations already had seen but never really seen. Perceive? No. Hear? Foggy. Don't really catch it. Heart? Harden. Hear? Never understand. See? Never perceive. Heart has grown dull. There is a spiritual blindness and I think Paul is very aware that once he was like that, once Paul himself was spiritually blind, he was hardened in his heart and he could see, he could see Stephen and his ministry, he could see the apostles and their ministry and he could not really perceive what was happening. He could not really understand what was happening. His heart was hardened and dull and God met him, you see. God stopped him, arrested him in his tracks and cause the blindness, the scales to fall from his eyes. And Paul has been bringing that encounter everywhere he can go so that as he is experienced, so too they can experience. And you can hear him say in Romans chapter 9 to this very same crowd, he says that I would trade my own salvation if it means all of you could be saved. He's speaking to the Jewish people. That's crazy. In his heart, he would trade his own eternity with God so that all of his people can be saved. That's how much he's, he, he cries and he longs for them, 
Like Jesus said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city who stones and kills her prophets. How I long to gather you under my wing like a mother hand gathers her chicks and yet you would not believe. And Paul is saying here that there is a kind of spiritual blindness. There's a spiritual blindness that will continue in its opposition to the truth, that will continue in its opposition to love, that will continue in its opposition to wisdom and in its opposition to kindness and in its opposition to Yahweh's ways, the ways of their own God. It will persist. And I want you to be careful of spiritual blindness because we have a different king. Our king is not this king. Our king is another king. And Sister Jenny shared this at Dominate on Friday night and it was exactly what I needed to hear. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness. Hyper-exalted King Jesus. And princes will rule in justice. That's all of us his princess and princesses, right? Governing and being his, his, his intersection on earth. Ruling justice, each will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place. That's you. Like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Then, then the eyes of those who see will not be closed. And the ears of those who hear will Give attention, my church. Pray that the King gives you spiritual sight. Pray that the King gives you spiritual hearing. Pray that the King gives you spiritual understanding and softness in your heart because the end product of spiritual blindness is hate, violence, cruelty, wickedness, addictions, darkness, spiritual oppression, you can go on naming it. The end point of spiritual blindness is effectively hell. As hellish as you can imagine, that is the end point of spiritual blindness. But the end point of spiritual sight is seeing the beloved Christ who loves you and who is the perfect embodiment of love and mercy and justice and patience and goodness and faithfulness and kindness and compassion and mercy and grace toward every single one of us. The highest standard of forgiveness, spiritual sight. But you need to be able to see that we live in a world where this can take place. It takes spiritual sight to accept that in so dying, He so resurrects. And because He so resurrects, we live in a new reality. Can I have the worship team on stage? And I want all of us to close up, have our eyes closed for a moment because we are going to open the altar and this is not about Sungai Bulo Church's altar. This is about God meeting you and you taking a step of faith. So I would like to ask for the leaders to come to the front and be ready to minister because right now, I want us all to rise to our feet. All of us rise to our feet. And if you are in a place where you are needing an encounter with God, you are desiring for 
healing in your body, healing in your mind. If you are desiring for a breakthrough in a dead situation, in a difficult one, if you are feeling very disordered because of news that you have heard or because of a decision you have to make, if the year has been very, very difficult for you and as you reach mid-November, you think, God, what will next year hold for me? Can I seek you for direction so I know how to put sail and when? If you are in a place where you truly need God to come for you, I want to invite you to slip out of your chair and just make a short walk somewhere near to the front. And someone here will be ready to pray with you. And when they pray together with you, they are just being there as a friend to say before you, God, come and fill this place. God, come and help my sister or my brother. And as the worship team leads us into worship, let's sing Hosanna. Father, we pray, Father God, that You will indeed bring something beautiful out of my life, bring something redemptive out of a situation I'm in. Rescue this, this brokenness, Lord God, and cause goodness, mercy, uh, and love to flow out of me, out of my life. Bring new wine out of me, O oh God. So, Father, Father, I pray, Father God, for every single one of us who are found here in church on this morning, physically or even those who are online. In Jesus' name, I just speak a blessing and a peace of God over every single one of you. In whatever you are going through, I speak the accompaniment of God to walk with you through this. To walk with you through this every day. And even when you've come out from stormy waters, know that He is still with you. Do not forget Him, but know that He is with you in the rain or in the shine. Lord Jesus, may You now bless our people and keep our people. Lord Jesus, may You look upon our people and be gracious to every single one of us. May You lift up Your countenance upon us and be gracious to us and give us your shalom and all of God's people say Amen Amen